One of the things that Christ encouraged in his followers was to wait eagerly for his return from heaven one day. Now, if he isn't coming, and it isn't possible that he could come at any moment, it seems an unfair promotion to make us wait with bated breath for something that can't happen. Welcome, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This is a program of the International Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. You can go to traincpe.org to learn more about our work in over 40 countries. You can also find us by going through the links at breadoflifeboise.org. There you'll learn about our local missions fellowship as well. And it's from that fellowship that we bring to you God's Word for today. I'd invite you to take your Bibles in hand as we search the Scriptures to consider what a Christian who is waiting for Christ's imminent return looks like. How does a mindset that Christ could return at any moment and a heart set longing for that day shape the ongoing way in which we live. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I have to say to you, if Christ can't return at any time, it would seem to be kind of unfair to bait us with the idea that we should be eagerly waiting. At any time, we're eagerly waiting. That's the posture we're to be fulfilling and carrying out. And that's the expectation they had. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things unto himself. When Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians and he tells them that they don't want them to mourn for those who have died in the faith thinking that they've missed out on the return of Jesus Christ, Paul says, listen, When the Lord Jesus returns, there will be a shout of the archangel and there will be the trump of the Lord. And then he says, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he says this, and then we who remain will be drawn up to meet him in the air. Now, something interesting. You know what Paul thought? In this eagerly waiting posture, he thought he was among the we. We who remain. He was anticipating an imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the right posture to have. When you hear a person thinking, you know, I just am convinced that before I die, we had a dear lady in our church who passed away and she just couldn't believe that she was going to pass away before the Lord Jesus returned. She was convinced. She was convinced she was going to be here when he returned. Of course, she's not going to miss out. She gets to go first, frankly. That's what the Bible says. But it's the right attitude to have. We who remain was Paul's attitude. It's an attitude of eminence, and it's a reflection of someone who's taken hold of the words that Jesus Christ himself taught. So Matthew 24, 44, we hear these words from the Lord Jesus, and he says them more than once. He repeats them. The basic instruction he gives us is to be ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. It's imminent. It's coming. God understands that the posture of attentive anticipation for the coming of Christ is good for us that it serves the purpose of our sanctification and it serves the purpose of our mission as well, that we have this attitude within ourselves. And so with this in mind, we we want to consider some further thoughts on what kind of character this produces within us and how this should motivate us in that character. The first thing I want you to see here is I want you to begin to understand the character and actions that an eager anticipation an attentive anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ will produce in you personally. Take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 11 through 14. We won't be able to go into this in depth at all. 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let me just say this. The first thing I want to say here under this idea of the character and actions that are produced by this eager anticipation for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is this, that the waiting Christian is an aggressive opposer of evil and sin. The awaiting Christian is one who repudiates ungodliness and worldly passions. They deny ungodliness and worldly lust, our passage says here. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 and verse 13, we could look also into Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, in the last half of Romans chapter 1, we have this depiction, and I encourage you to read it, this depiction of what ungodliness looks like. What worldliness looks like and worldly lust looks like when it's being set up in your age. And I thought about reading it, but I, for your sakes, I chose a little bit shorter reference. So 2 Timothy, and you still get the ideas. These are things that were in the world in Paul's day. They were intensifying in Paul's day, and they are intensifying still. And we're told in this passage that it'll get worse and worse. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. And then I'll read you verse 13. But know this that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. If there's ever a time in which we've seen an increase in narcissism, it's now. The digital age has allowed people to somehow escape into themselves, get all their entertainment, all their information, all the process of their socialization, while they occupy a little space in front of a image of themselves or in front of their computers. In fact, now they do this Zoom talking. And you know, on Zoom talking, you actually have a picture of yourself and then maybe the people you're talking to. And I guarantee you, most of the time, people are looking at themselves on their Zoom conversation. Not the other person. We even have our meetings now with people where the whole time we're looking at ourselves and we're supposed to be conversing with them. It's just a unique narcissism that our world is being cast further and further into. Men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Of such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive gullible women loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts. May also say that now, through digital computers, individuals are able to creep into one another's homes and odd conversations and clandestine meetings. And it's happening as never before. And it's happening and it's proliferating throughout our society. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, here's what I want to say. The one who is eagerly awaiting and anticipating the return of Jesus Christ will not boil down into that stew of moral decay. They'll deny it. 
they'll actually repudiate it, meaning they will actively oppose and reject it. The one who is eagerly awaiting for Christ's return doesn't allow themselves to become used to or accommodating to the sin in the world in which they live, and they certainly won't accommodate it in their own lives, no matter how much that compromise seems to be taking hold of their society. They're going the other direction. They're resisting it, and they're repudiating it. The Bible actually says of Lot that in Sodom and Gomorrah, he vexed his righteous soul for the behavior that was taking in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what that means? It was that Lot would not let himself become good with what was going around him. He would not let himself become comfortable with the moral decay that was going around him. He vexed, it said, his own soul. He took an active approach against the evil around him by not letting himself rest in those things. This is the picture of a person who is eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. They deny it. They resist it. They oppose it. They stand against it. So that means there was some wisdom when our mother found us watching some television show on TV or doing some bad behavior and said, do you want to be watching this when the Lord Jesus returns? Something about the knowledge of Christ's return makes you actually stand against and flee from and deny those things that are not accord with his appearance and his coming and his nature. Positively, this passage tells us the waiting Christian lives soberly, righteously, and godly. Soberly. It means self-controlled. They use the natural desires that God has given them in a way that honors God and his purposes for their lives. It's a reference to the way in which they live under themselves. They don't delve into the temptations and the traps of the unguarded life the traps that come upon the eye and the ear and the mouth gate. You might remember again when we were little children. Some of you we saying, be careful little Christians. What you see for the Father up above is looking down in love. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you hear. The idea is that the waiting Christian is sober, watching over their own lives, guarding it and keeping it. Righteously here is a reference to the way in which they live before others. That is, they practice justice and fairness in their treatment of other people. Another way that Paul communicates this idea of living righteous before others is in Philippians 4, 5. He says this, Let your gentleness be known before all men. The Lord is at hand. Knowing that Christ can come at any times, don't let him find you treating other people unjustly or unkindly or not with gentleness. That is, do not force your will or your desire on others. Don't push back harshly against those who oppose you. You be kind, and you be ready to bless those who even abuse you. We leave to God the judgment that comes upon people. We owe people only one thing the word says, to love them, to do good to them. And this is righteousness in action. We don't resist the sinful attitudes of this world with our own sinful attitudes. We give ourselves to be good to all, because we know that the Lord is about to come through the door. Right? For whatever reason, my mind goes to being siblings and growing up. And, you know, you had a sibling that might be taking advantage of another child. They, they never did it right in front of the parents. They waited till their backs were turned, right? If they knew the parents were going to come upon them, they wouldn't be roughing up their sibling for a nickel so they could go buy an extra piece of candy or something like that. They, they know the judge is coming through the door. They begin to be a little more righteous when you live in anticipation of God's return, of Christ's return. Godliness. It's another trait here, and that an expression of their attitude towards God. It's their position before Him. They wait, and they wait eagerly, and as they wait, they wait with reverence towards Him. 
understanding that the Holy One is about to come upon them. And increasingly, in an increasingly irreverent age, we actually find ourselves going the other direction. As people become increasingly irreverent about the things of God, we find ourselves being drawn more and more to reverence Him and live before Him in His presence. The waiting Christian is, is a reverent Christian. Here's another thing I want to add. It's not in this text but it's found in many other passages, and it's found much in Christ's own teaching. But the waiting Christian endures, and as they wait eagerly, they also wait patiently. There's a sense of endurance that comes within them. The Lord Jesus taught about this in his return. Much of what he taught, the application to the lessons that he gave about his return, were to teach and instruct people to endure until the end, to be patient until the end, to have a careful endurance in their life as they served Him and lived for Him. And James picks up on this emphasis that the Lord Jesus taught. And so in James 5, verses 7 through 9, let me read to those passages. James says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of our Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest to you two websites you can visit. First, go to traincpe.org to learn about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And to learn more about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.